The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena, and I'm happy to be joined by my buddy, who I missed last week, Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I uh, I sort of missed talking about baseball for a week, but, you know, I'm not going to lie. Probably like a lot of the players, it's nice to take a couple days off and yeah. think about something else for just a little, but we're mm-hmm. back. We're yes. back because now I'm refreshed. I'm ready mm-hmm. to talk about baseball again. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I actually did a, uh, a fantasy football draft while we were off. But uh, you're right. I mean, in a way, you know, it was nice to take a break from talking baseball. But then you, after a while, you start to miss it. So glad that we're uh, together once again. And just to give everyone a reference point, we're uh, recording this podcast on July 18th. It's about 1 p.m. Eastern time. And obviously it's uh, the uh, post all-star break at this point. So even though we technically based on games played, we had already reached the you know second half, but this is often considered the second half after the all-star break. So what's happening now, uh, you know, real life trades are going to be ramping up, right? Uh, one of my favorite days in the MLB calendar this year, I think it's July 30th. That's the trade deadline, right? We already saw the, the Braves trade for Jock Peterson. Obviously needed a substitution for Ronald Acuna after he suffered a season-ending ACL injury. He might even be out until next May. Uh, fantasy managers, Scott, they're also going to be ramping up their trade activity. I mean, uh, it's just another way to improve your team. Obviously, you're going to still work that waiver wire, but uh, most of us fantasy players uh, are our own fantasy teams, GMs, and it's fun to wheel and deal there, Scott. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I'll say this about trading and and I could talk about trading a lot. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit in a recent batter's box article. The thing about trading is it's way more art than science, right? Like, you know, it's so much fun to like trade and do all that stuff, but it's also probably one of the hardest things to do, which is weird to talk about because you have leagues where trades happen constantly. Mm -hmm. Like you trade as easy as you breathe. Then you go to other leagues and there are no trades, not because of the rules, but just because people, people don't do it. So it's a lot of fun to see how the major league teams work this out and just how different that is from how uh, fantasy managers do that. And Mm -hmm. like our, our motivations, I think trading is the most human thing in fantasy baseball to be quite honest, because we do stuff in trades 
that often doesn't make logical sense, right? And it can still work out, but like we, because we have to create narratives. The only way to do a trade is to create a narrative, right? Because I think this guy's going to be better than that guy. And mm-hmm. this other person might not think so. Like that's, that's a very human thing. And so it, it is sometimes fun to see uh, all the trade questions that we get to see what trades actually happen in right. fantasy. It, it's, it's a very interesting time. Yeah, trade trading in general, and then trade etiquette. It's a, it's a big uh, deal to to really learn how to actually interact with your league mates, right? Like put deals out there uh, that might get accepted, right? You don't just want to just throw trash out there. But maybe next week we'll spend a good chunk of time on that because I think it's worthwhile, especially as we. Uh, delve more into the uh, the season as the season progresses. So like, it might even be a little early for this, but what about like league etiquette in terms of working the waiver wire? Let's say hopefully your teams aren't out of it. I actually have a team that's totally out of it. I'm in last place. So talk about it just for a minute, etiquette in terms of how to work the waiver wire. I mean, if your team is, is out of it, I mean, technically it's uh, the team that I'm talking about is not really out of it, but it's going to be hard for me to come back on it. But how hard should a team work the waiver wire when it looks like everything's done for this season? I mean, what's your goal, right? A lot of times I've got leagues where my goal is to not be last, mm-hmm. which means I'm still on the wire, right? You get a long time before you're truly always going to be in last place. Um, I know that people have a lot of opinions about this. I'm not necessarily going to say anything's wrong. My thing about etiquette is like, it's out there, it's real, whatever. But man, if there's something you really don't want your league to do, make a rule. Like don't, the worst thing that you can do is get into an argument about etiquette and Mm. not a rule, right? Like you can have opinions, like something can be bad etiquette. So you might judge that person, but it shouldn't be a league problem. It should be like a you problem, right? So Uh, If your league doesn't want folks who are out of the playoffs making moves, uh, you know, at a a certain point, make it a rule, Mm -hmm. put it out there, make this hard cutoff. What you don't want is for it to happen. We can't go back in time and undo it. Right. Well, like you kind of can, but it's really awkward. Let it like, just make the rules. That's the thing about fantasy baseball etiquette. We don't want unwritten rules. Like baseball's got those and they're not great. Right. Like (laughs) fantasy. Write the rules down. Write yeah. the rules down. Just make it a rule. And, it, you know, even if your league's site doesn't allow you to have, like, this bifurcated, you know, waiver wire deadline or trade deadline, make one yourselves mm-hmm. and attach a little penalty to it. Who Like, do that yourselves. Like, it's not terribly difficult to manage. Do that. Um, but personally, if the league's still going, if you still have a matchup to play, make your moves. Mm-hmm. And so as we head into the second half, just a little reminder of what we can expect. So I'll, I'll just mention, you know, Chris Sale, uh, Red Sox ace, pitched his first rehab assignment the other day through three scoreless innings. And as he gets stretched out, once he's able to go five innings in a rehab start, he's going to be joining the Red Sox rotations. So that's going to be a big boost in the arm for the Red Sox. Uh, Yankees, Luis Severino. 
expected to throw live batting practice today, Sunday. Like I mentioned, we're recording this on Sunday. Plan is for him to do that twice, and then he could begin a rehab assignment. Uh, remember, he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, just like Sale is. But uh, Severino had a recent setback with a groin injury. So uh, if, if Sevy could uh, – he might be back sometime in August. Uh, Sale probably a, a little – could be a little sooner than that, especially since he's uh, pitching rehab games already. And also for the Yankees, Corey Kluber making some progress, uh, recovering from a right shoulder sprain, could throw a bullpen session by the end of the week, but he's not expected back until September. And last guy I'll mention, Chris Noah Syndergaard experienced uh, elbow soreness while recovering from Tommy John surgery. Remember that? So he was initially expected to be back by now by this time but the Mets uh, might get him back by September so just remind me of what you could expect in the second half and Scott I just want to also mention that everyone out there should keep an eye on trade rumors especially as it gets closer to the trade deadline but also when it comes closer to not not even closer but when uh, talking about closers uh, being dealt so I mean if you if you need help in the saves category it's Time to start targeting those setup guys from teams who are expected to trade their closes off of uh, the wave wire. So grab them if you can. Like you'll save yourself a lot of fab if you start doing that now. I mean, the Cubs expected to be sellers, so Kimbrel could be moved. Uh, Pirates closer Richard Rodriguez might be going to the Blue Jays. You could pick up maybe a David Bednar or a Kyle Crick for the Cubs. Andrew Chafin and Ryan Tapera. Uh, they're set up guys right there. And, and we always talk about Rangers closer. Ian Kennedy might be dealt and you might uh, put a, a dollar on Joely Rodriguez or a Josh Spores. How about your Tigers, man? I, mean, I think they might move maybe a Gregory Soto for a decent prospect, maybe. Do people want Gregory Soto? Hey, you got to save the other. I think yesterday, right, Saturday? <laughs> Tigers. I mean, you shouldn't say that. Tigers all-star, uh, Gregory Soto. Yeah. Um, You know, the one thing I'll say about the, the trade deadline for the major leagues and closers and how that relates to fantasy is number one, um, be afraid because generally what happens is that the closers that are rostered don't keep jobs. Like they end up losing them. Right. Um, you know, if Richard Rodriguez goes to another team, like what are the odds that he's the closer for that team? Especially the blue Jays. That's who he's been linked to. Right. The way or, they or, their closer. Like, yeah. Will he be a closer there? Or at the very least, will he be the closer? Right. Right. Like even if he gets a share of that job in Toronto, uh, he's going to share it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's that's what's really difficult about these closer trades. I, I tend to say that there's kind of like no winners from a fantasy perspective, because the guy that's going to get a job like that's really going to have something open up is probably on the wire, in which case all the managers are losers again because they got to go bid a bunch. And now there's more uh, sharks in the water because somebody else lost a closer and needs one. So this is going to be a really hectic time for trying to manage saves. Mm -hmm. So hopefully you've already got a bunch, but you know, that's very hard to do. If you don't like, it's going to get harder before it gets easier to get saves. Yeah. You just hope that I know what you mentioned in terms of a lot of these future closes might be on the waiver wire, but just hopefully (laughs) <laughs> that the natural progression would happen in, in some cases where, let's say, the setup guy would turn into the closer. But you're right. You just don't know. So, um, yeah, you know, other second half news that I just want to just bring up is the White Sox looks like that they might be getting back a couple of cogs from their offense a little sooner than expected. Right. Luis Robert 
uh, grade three strain of his right hip flexor. He could start a, a rehab assignment by the end of this month and might even return to action by mid-August. How about Eloy Jimenez? Seems to be uh, on track for a return sooner than expected. Was rehabbing with the uh, White Sox single-A affiliate. Started crushing pitches, and they moved them up to AAA. Might be back in the bigs crazy by the end of this month, this guy. Yeah. I mean, I I really wondered how the White Sox were going to, like, make this work, but they kind of didn't need to because the Twins did it for them by just absolutely <laughs> being terrible. Uh, I really thought this was going to be an interesting division, and it's just not. But, you know, it, I will say, you know, Eloy coming back, that's a big one. I mean, that is a huge impact yes. bat uh, that, that I'm very excited to see back on the field. You know, Lewis Robert might be back. Uh, at some point, it's not it's not worth your time for fantasy because even if he comes back, we're talking like 15 games, maybe like half of September. So it's not really worth it. Well, but I heard he might it's... be back mid-August. So that you're talking a month and a half. But, you know, you're right. I mean, I guess it depends on how he handles his rehab assignment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the other really important point to make here is that <clears throat> these guys are on rehab assignments, um, not just to sort of like get loose and stretch out. Right. Like we really do have setbacks and they're really difficult to predict uh, when guys have setbacks. So my advice generally, if you're in a redraft league is like, keep watching. You, you can't afford necessarily a roster spot on a lot of these guys um, unless you have room on your IL, which a lot of us don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So you really have to do some risk reward analysis. And part of that's going to be like at, at this point in the season right now, I'll tell you that. I look a lot at projections um, and sort of the calendar and say, as of right now, if I don't think a guy has a shot at 120 plate appearances, mm-hmm. he can stay on the wire mm-hmm. for me. And, and that's going to mean I miss out on some guys, but I can't like, at what point do you stop sacrificing plate appearances now for plate appearances later? Right. And, and so, you know, when you look at a guy like Eloy, you could be looking at another 150, 180 plate appearances like that's meaningful. You can really he could hit 10 home runs with that. Sure. But when we start talking about like 60, 100. How many home runs is a guy going to hit? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how many you know, how much is that batting average actually going to help you? Right. So uh, especially in Roto and head to head, it's a little different because week to week still matters. So if a guy's going to be available for your playoffs, I guess that can matter. But particularly in Roto, um, th- like some of those stats, 50 plate appearances doesn't isn't going to change that much. Mm-hmm. Right. So keep an eye on the calendar. Keep thinking, like, how many more innings could they get? Or I'm sorry, how many plate appearances could they get? I mean, it works mm-hmm. for pitchers, too. Right. How many innings? Sure. That's the thing about Severino. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, Severino's real issue is that he just hasn't pitched like since 2018. Right. Really? <laughs> That's a long time ago. Like how many pitchers are still the same guy they were in 2018? Right. right? <laughs> and they've been playing. Mm-hmm. So. That's an issue. But again, that's also what you're looking at is how many how many starts could I actually get here? How many games? How many played appearances? Right. Um, those are real questions. That I think you have to be ready to answer them. And even if you can't do it yourself, like go, go to fan graphs and look at like the four projection systems. Sure. The great, right? great resource. It'll give you, it'll give you some idea. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not a perfect system, but it'll give you some idea. Mm-hmm. And machines are pretty good at this kind of thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so just watch the Terminator. I'll be back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, mach- that's how I look at this a lot. <laughs> and I really want to see that. 
Um, I don't get like too wrapped up in the exact number. I just look at the range, right? Mm -hmm. And these do update all the time. So worth keeping an eye on. We're trying to figure out what kind of impact the player would actually have. Like, don't just think Eloy's really good. So he must be on my, on my IL, which Mm. like he should, but it's not just because he's really good. It's because he's really good and he's going to play like Lewis Robert right now is right on that borderline, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yes, he could come back early. He is very talented, very much could be worth holding on to. Um, but if he has any kind of setbacks and it starts looking like, oh, maybe he'll come back in, um, you know, early September, then you start thinking like, uh, mm. you know, like there's, that's not very much time. Is that really going to help? And, and can I find someone who can help me now? So that's kind of like the mental gymnastics you have to do for all this. And it's difficult, right? If it was easy, fantasy would be boring. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> that's but just I mean, you, you brought up an interesting point there in terms of you know moving in categories and we're going to go through uh, the major offensive positions and uh, Scott's going to give you his opinion as to you know what to expect in the second half or a few key players but you Scott you mentioned uh, categories like uh, you know in the middle of July end of July it kind of gets a little harder to make moves in these categories such as batting average, right? And and maybe ERA, you know, those, those, those average categories. When it's early in the season, you could jump up fairly quickly, but you know, we get to that point where you, I guess you have to pick which category you choose to, to target sometimes, no? You do, and it's a really, really important skill to have because a lot of people just go, I'm bad at this category. I should focus on this category. And that's just not the way I think you should do it. So there, of course, is, you know, on one hand, there's a lot of potential, right? If you're in like a Roto League and you're getting two points out of your stolen bases out of 12, you're like, oh, I got a lot of room to grow. But how are you going to do it, Mm -hmm. right? What's the gap? So some sites are really good about showing it to you. I think Yahoo is one that'll show you on like a little, uh, like a line, like where you are and where everyone else is on the line. What you really want to target are the categories where you can get the most points back with the least amount of work, mm-hmm. right? Certain categories are going to be really bunched, right? So there might be, you know, if you're sort of in the middle of the pack and steals, right? Like if you're at the bottom, you might need like 10 more steals than the next person to get that one point. But those same 10 steals, if you're like fifth in, or if you're in like seventh in the category, those same 10, that might get you like four points mm-hmm. in Rota you, because you, you get bunched in the middle. So That's really what you're looking for at this point. You're like, hey, what categories can I reasonably do this? Because you have to remember, too, it's not a static number, what you're chasing. You're down by 10 stolen bases. That means you need to outpace the next team by 10 more stolen bases. And newsflash, if you're in last in stolen bases, it's probably because you don't have any. Right, right. right. You can't use the wire to get all those steals. You need to, like, at this point, you you know, you don't want to punt categories until the absolute last moment and you have to. And now you're kind of running into that time. Like not totally punt maybe, but be like, you know what? I can't focus on this category, right? There's just, it's way too much work for too little reward, right? If you're dead last in home runs, like, well, home runs is a tough one because it impacts other stats. But like, if you're dead last in home runs, um, you, you should maybe get a little bit of power, but not necessarily because like you could jump. Because if you're down by a ton, it's just too big. It's too high of a mountain to climb for such a little payoff for that one more point, those two more points. 
right? You really want to focus on, oh, but look, I'm in the middle of a pack and runs. And if I can just get like a David Fletcher mm-hmm. and maybe one or two other guys and just up my pace by a little bit, I can get three points right there. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds silly, but it happens all the time. And people don't look at that. All they see is I'm bad at this. I'm good at this. But like that doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Where are you in the standings in relation to the, other, the, to the other managers? Because especially in Roto, that's how it works. In head-to-head, it's a little different. You can manage it week to week. Yes. Right. And head to head, you can be like, oh, look, this other team, they've got, um, you know, they've got two or three speed guys and I don't have any. So screw it. Not yeah. going to not going to think about steals when I'm setting my lineup and you can actually take variables out something that's difficult about fantasy baseball. You got a lot of variables to think about. Right. You've got the old Joey Gallo problem, right? He's going to tank my average, but I could really use the home runs. You can cut variables out. Uh, in Roto, it's a little harder. You want to do it a lot slower, but in head to head, you can do it week to week. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. drop stuff. Like, yep. Oh, you know what? Like, uh, you know, my, my buddy, Justin Mason, he loves punting batting average in head to head leagues because week to week batting average is incredibly volatile, right? Like Joey Gallo doesn't hit 200 every week. What happens is he hits like, you know, 110 for two weeks and then 500 for a week. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, it, it's really volatile. You can start doing that. But, yeah, in the Roto Leagues, look at where you are in those standings. How, how can you do the least amount of work and get the most reward? It's, it's the American dream, right. right? Like, that's what you're after. That, you know, if I only up my RBI production by a little, there's three points there for the taking. Go do that. Really focus on that. Um, and, and you can just kind of keep doing this. And you can watch yourself in the standings go up from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like uh, anything, uh, whether it be in the real world or in the world of fantasy sports, you need to have a plan, right? So that's uh, good advice on your part. So uh, let's start breaking down some of these uh, positions here. And uh, it makes sense if we start with the first base position. And uh, I'll just bring up a couple of guys. And I know you you, want to talk about maybe one or two guys for each position. But uh, so Freddie Freeman slumped for the first couple of months, but in his last 29 games, batting 391, six homers, 19 RBI. Jose Abreu got off to a slow start, a 251 batting average, still has 16 home runs and 69 RBI in his first 85 games, and he's been coming on as well. Luke Voigt led the league in home runs last season, currently on the IL for the Yankees. That's the third time he's on the IL. Only played 29 games this season. Anthony Rizzo, now, you know, we talked trades. Cubs uh, are in sell mode, so you got to wonder whether or not He's going to be moved. Uh, you know, kind of, they kind of insulted him, I think, a month or two ago with a, a very low ball offer. But he's almost like one of the faces of, of the Cubs. So we'll see. 11 homers, 34 RBI in his first 80 games. Usually heats up a little bit in, in the second half. So, uh, and uh, I want to mention, if you want a really good article on a first baseman, and uh, check out uh, Carlos Marcano's article, uh, wrote a great article about uh, Goldschmidt. He's bullish on him, and so am I. Uh, Goldschmidt, first 89 games, 265, 14 homers, 50 RBI, and five stolen bases. If you look at his expected stats, they're encouraging. But check out that article from uh, Carlos Marcano. Scott, tell me, who are you looking at at the first base position? You know, so the first thing I'll say is you called out two names there, Freddie Freeman and uh, Paul Goldschmidt. Over the last 30 days, they are – to, uh, like one in three in terms of uh, wins above replacement over the last 30 days. 
Uh, they are, you know, in terms of weighted runs created plus, they're like right there at the top as well, like mm-hmm. in top five, I believe. So, you know, some of these studs are guys that like they slumped and you kind of don't need to do a lot of analysis mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's going to sound weird, but they're doing it for you, right? Like Freddie Freeman is not oblivious to the fact that maybe he didn't perform to his standard, mm-hmm. right? So he's trying to figure out how to fix that because he's got a team that is in a division that's still fairly wide open, right? Like whenever the Mets are the team that's projected to come out of the division, it's kind of wide open, Mm -hmm. right? Like the the Mets are going to met. So like another team could come (laughs) out. Uh, Freddie does his own research, right? And actually the player I want to talk about is a player very much like that. Um, There's going to be a couple guys like this where my answer is sort of a cop-out, but that's okay, right? Because mm-hmm. we're not dealing with a huge sample size, and we're still in an area where a lot of variance is you know, sort of expected. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Anthony Rizzo, right? Yeah, so yeah. Rizzo has, has not been who we've wanted him to be really since the start of 2020. And I tried to figure out why, and that's a lot harder to do for some of these veteran guys because a lot of the stuff on the surface looks fine, mm-hmm. looks the same as it did, right? One thing I did notice about Rizzo, though, is that his performance against fastballs since the start of 2020 is way down, right? But it's not because he's actually doing worse. Apparently, and this is the main reason I use expected stats, he's just been super unlucky about it, right? His expected batting average is 60 points higher than his actual batting average on fastballs since the start of 2020. His expected slugging is 100 points higher than his actual slugging Mm -hmm. against fastballs so for the first half he was first baseman 24 if you use the fan graphs auction calculator right uh he should be at least top 12 rest of the season he's not the 30 home run guy he used to be right but he's still like a mid-20s home run guy he should have a very strong batting average for you he should drive in plenty of runs unless they completely gut that team Mm -hmm. right so i mean he's a guy that i don't know if you can necessarily uh trade for him in a way that makes sense but if you are the person who rosters Rizzo um this is me telling you like sort of ignore those trade offers right unless you think you're getting a top 12 or better first baseman back for the rest of the season again you drafted him to be better than a top 12 first baseman the rest of the season but that money's already lost Mm -hmm. you that investment is gone you only need to think about what they're going to be going forward right like what you drafted a guy to be no longer matters. What you're focusing on, what can they be going ahead, right? Rizzo can be a top 12 first baseman. Maybe maybe even a bit better, right? With some good luck, you could be looking at like a top eight, top nine, which is impressive because first base is super deep right now. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's kind of where I'm looking. And this one, at least I was able to pinpoint something that was going on. It's right. just bad luck. I can't tell you some, some skill change, but at mm-hmm. least it's something where <laughs> with some of these other guys, I can't do that. I'm kind of hoping. Right. And there's a lot of good players out there where you're kind of like, why are they bad? Like, oh, I don't know. Like mm. everything on the surface looks fine, but it- the results aren't there with Rizzo. It's been against like luck against fastballs. And if you know Anthony Rizzo, like, you know that you're not too worried about bad luck against fastballs because that doesn't stick. Right. It's great, like you said, that we have these expected stats to turn to because other than that, when you hear that a player is having trouble hitting the fastball, you're like, well, what's wrong? Does, is, 
does he have uh, did he lose some bat speed? He can't catch up to it. But uh, you know, like you said, when you use expected stats like that, uh, it kind of gives you an idea. Like you mentioned, that you know he's hit into a bit of bad luck. And and just to note, uh, his second half batting average for his career is two seventy nine. First half is two sixty five. So. He has a history of heating up a little bit in, in the second half, so that's something to take notice of. So let's move on to the second base position. Now, uh, consensus at the start of the season uh, was that this is the shallowest uh, position in fantasy baseball, and uh, we have DJ LeMayhew, who I'll call a second baseman, even though he could play all over the infield, but uh, having an off year like uh, so many Yankees are. and uh, Another guy that sticks out at me, not for being – having an off year, but just, you know, reminder of how good a player he is. Whit Merrifield leading the bigs with 24 stolen bases caught just once, right? And then uh, the the two that, to me, that, that stand out, uh, Jose Altuve. I mean, you had him ranked seventh uh, in your preseason rankings. I mean, we didn't expect him to steal bases, and he's not, but he's hitting some home runs, some big ones, and unfortunately against my Yanks, a couple of game-winning ones. So uh, still hitting some 30-odd points below his career batting average, but basically a really nice bounce-back season from him. And Marcus Simeon playing like the player that he was a couple of years ago where he was you know, got some MVP votes, right? 88 games so far, 279 batting average, 23 home runs, 70 runs scored. That's a tough category to fill, but 70 runs scored, 57 RBI, and 10 stolen bases. So tell me your, your guy at second base. Yeah, one thing I'll say about Marcus Simeon is what's really surprising to me about it is I really felt that that success in his uh, – that big season 2019 in Oakland had to do with the incredible plate discipline gains that he made, mm-hmm. right? Like he hit 285 because he had an 11.6% walk rate and a 13.7% strikeout rate. So like one to one, we're over his career. It's usually been two strikeouts to every one walk. And I was like, well, if he can do that, he'll be great. And then he didn't the next season, right? And was actually quite bad in 2020. And I was like, oh, well, he's back to being average. But his actually his plate discipline right now is worse than it was even last season, right? Hmm. He's walking a bit less, he's striking out a bit more. But you know the guy, the guy figured out how to put the wood on the ball. Yeah. So he is just absolutely raking. Sometimes being aggressive is the way to go though, you know? It, I mean It really is, especially yeah. especially when you got murderers row behind you yes. in Toronto playing in playing a very hitter-friendly stadium. Yeah. You don't need walks. Right. Just swing yeah. that bat, right? Swing playing it. Playing in a, a minor league park in Florida to start the season then he went to Buffalo now I think very soon, I think that they, they will be playing in Rogers Center in Toronto again. So that's going to be awesome. But yeah, hitting, hitting in front of uh, Vlad Jr. and Boba Chet is a pretty good yeah. place to be, right? And Teoscar <laughs> Hernandez. So right. like for him, he's just like, he's like, no, I just got to swing the bat. I just got to yeah, get yeah. on, right? So yeah. the second baseman I want to call out, and actually um, the guys that I've, that I've kind of selected, uh, three of them qualify at second base. But the one I assigned for second base is Luis Arias. Right. So uh, Luis Arias, he's been hitting the ball really well in July. The power's not quite there. Like it's never going to, he's never going to slug 500. That's mm-hmm. just not what Luis Arias is, but he can bat 350, right? right? Like for extended periods of time, this might be, you know, if there's one guy, if you said everybody's playing all 160 games, who wins the AL batting title? I think Luis Arias should have some of the, some of like the best odds, mm-hmm. right? Like, He's he's excellent at putting the ball in play, and as bad as Minnesota has been, it's not the offense's fault, right? Like they are hitting just fine, mm-hmm. even without Byron Buxton. You know the thing, and the thing is, if you go and look at you know the other good use for Statcast data is to see like the slugging's bad, but is it is at least he hitting it hard? And 
he's actually hitting the ball harder than he ever has, which again, still isn't that hard compared to other players, even on his own team. Mm -hmm. But uh, that slugging is going to bounce back. He's not a sub 400 slug guy because he can hit enough doubles to get it up there. I think he can be a top 20 second baseman rest of the season, maybe even top 15 if he can, you know, keep leading off every day. Uh, but, you know, he's not going to do a ton of home runs or a ton of steals. But like you mentioned, run scored is a bit tough to get. Yeah. Uh, and he can definitely do that with all the contact mm -hmm. he makes. And don't forget, he's going to see a ton of the AL Central in the second half. We see in the second half that teams play a lot of their division, like within their division, especially towards the end. And that means he's going to get a lot of the Tigers, the Royals. Uh, like, unfortunately, he can't go against his own pitching staff. But uh, <laughs> Cleveland, these are teams that right now, like, aren't that intimidating at all. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you, you love to see Arias go, you know, play against the Royals or the Tigers. He can eat that pitching up. So he's a guy I really like for the second half. Again, I don't expect him to be like, if you're like in a 10-team league with no middle infield, like, you can keep ignoring Arias. But these 12-team leagues, especially ones that have that middle infield, corner infield, five outfield maybe, he's out. He's eligible at like second, third, and outfield. Yeah. He's a guy that, you know, I've got on a lot of benches right now, and he can fill in a lot of spots. He can hit for a lot of batting average, and he'll score you a bunch of runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move on to shortstop. Deep position, right? And uh, a guy that we've spoken a lot about over a couple of different episodes of our podcast Francisco Lindor slumped badly. Uh, overall, 228 batting average, 11 homers, eight stolen bases. But in his last 26 games, has shown some signs of life. Uh, last 11 games, 353 batting average, two home runs. Last 26 games, 279 with five home runs. Unfortunately, he started to heat up and Mets had to place him on the IL with an oblique strain. And he was talking that this is going to be a uh, injury that's measured in weeks, you know, return time, not days. So unfortunately, oblique uh, injuries are very tough uh, to come back from. Of course, he'll be back, but it's just going to be a little bit of a while. But um, another couple of uh, shortstops I'll just mention, and you've mentioned him uh, just a few weeks ago, is Adalberto Mondesi, injury-riddled season. But when he's on the field, he's a stolen base machine. But, you know, just when, <laughs> right? And uh, Corey Seager, Dodgers uh, shortstop currently on the IL. Gleyber Torres uh, actually, you know, stopped the presses. Uh, if there are any presses anymore, everything's online, of course. But <laughs> hit a home run on Saturday night, this guy. Has seven home runs since 2019. Uh, you know, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not shy about mentioning it on this podcast. I think the guy needs to go uh, down to the minor leagues for a couple weeks, take a little time out. But uh, who, who's your guy at short? Yeah, so one thing, a couple things I want to mention. Number one, you know, it's becoming, you know, it's still kind of popular to talk about Glaber's big season against the Orioles back in 2019. <laughs> yes. I just want to point out that he wasn't even the best Yankee against the Orioles that season. Mm -hmm. That was Gary Sanchez. He was even, he hit them even harder, and we don't talk about it. <laughs> we say it all the time about Glaber. We don't say anything about how Gary Sanchez had even more production against the Royals. Like, mm. more home runs. Like, more everything. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, just want to make sure that that's out there with Lindor. What's really tough about this is, you know, there's another guy that had like a oblique strain core injury thing. Uh, yeah. And that happened in spring training. That was George Springer. Mm -hmm. He did not really come back until late June. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
you, it is really scary. Uh, this for Lindor, not for his career, right? Like a 27 year old is going to bounce back from a grade two oblique strain, sure. but it's not a grade one, right? Um, this, this could really eat up a lot of time and it's going to be pretty close to, you know, I'd put him on your IL for now, but, but man, if he's not coming back until September, then maybe you cut him, right? Like that's a start of, that's the sort of decision-making we have to start doing, mm-hmm. right? Like that's kind of where we're at. So that's a little difficult for me. The shortstop that uh, I want to talk about is a guy who wasn't a shortstop until this year. And it's a guy that I've actually been sort of down on but I'm turning around Eugenio Suarez, right? Like I don't need to tell you that his batting average has been abysmal. The power's still there. The batting average has been abysmal. And until very recently, one of the big reasons was his strikeout rate had just been climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. Uh, But don't look now, but he's actually been lowering it all summer long, right? Specifically, it's the breaking pitches. His swing and miss percentage against breaking pitches in April was 55.6%. That's insane. Like every other breaking ball he swung at and missed. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, the thing is like he dropped that by 20 points through like at in June and July, Mm -hmm. like in June and July, it's like 35, it's like 30 to 35% swing and miss rate against breaking balls. That kind of growth, like the home runs are, have slowed down just a little, but if he can just like stop striking out 50% of the time, there's still a good player here. And no, I don't think he's ever going to go back to being like a 250, 260 hitter. He might not even go back to being a 240 hitter. But man, if he can hit like 230 the rest of the way, like at least you can swallow that pill, right? Like at least you can get a big enough glass of water, which is the 18 to 20 home runs he could hit the rest of the season mm-hmm. and, and like swallow down that horse pill of terrible average. That's really hard to do at 190, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the strikeout rate, is also way down uh, even just over the last like couple of weeks, you know, from June through July, it's like in the mid twenties. That's reasonable. That's a mm-hmm. regular strikeout rate. Eugenio Suarez with a regular strikeout rate is a high value fantasy player, right? The problem has been the 40 to 50% strikeout guy is worthless mm-hmm. except for like some home runs. So he's turning that around. Keep watching that again. If you roster Eugenio Suarez, you know, I think you got to keep holding because he's making this change. and. I, I know we've kind of been saying all year, like, oh, you should target him because he's going to, you know, he could get better. But like, you actually might want to target him now because there is a sign and you just have to hope that the other, like that his current manager doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, st- stuff uh, seems to be falling into place. But I'll tell you this, uh, you know, I was, as you were talking, I was just looking at different points of his season. Man, that average, <laughs> you're going to have to really eat a uh, sub- 200 batting average because I was looking at his batting average since June 1st and then from July 1st and you're absolutely right in terms of the the K rate going down it's only 20.8% since July 1st but man <laughs> you know that prolific home run power really you know you you want a piece of it but you're just going to have to eat that that batting average yeah if you can just put a couple more balls in play I can see that turning around right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but again I'm already saying like you kind of have to hope that the other man, like the person that has Suarez on the roster 
kind of have to hope that they don't notice the strikeout rate getting better. Yeah, yeah. Because then they're going to want to hold. Like mm-hmm. I said, trading's a very human thing. You could offer yeah. them a player that's even projected to be better than Suarez for the rest of the season. They mm-hmm. might not do it. They're like, well, his K rate's getting better. He could be a lot better. If you wait until the actual batting average gets better too, ain't nobody moving Suarez. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he could be a guy that you trade for for a, a bag of donuts. <laughs> that could. You do need that, to be desperate, that. though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you need he, to be desperate. He could ride, you know, you could ride him uh, to a playoff spot. You know, he could... I, I love it. You know where I love it is a weekly head-to-head league. Yeah, That's yeah. That's where I love it. Mm-hmm. Because, who can, again, batting average is incredibly volatile in those leagues. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So, who cares? Mm-hmm. Let, let him run because he's going to hit five home runs one week. Yeah. And just go off. like so. So, I actually really like that move. But, again, it's not risk-free. And that's the thing about trades, folks. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's never risk-free. I talked about this in our last podcast. You've got to be willing to lose a trade, right? Like if you go into a trade and say, I will only make a trade if I'm absolutely sure I'm going to win it. Ain't nobody going to trade with you Mm -hmm. because they don't want to lose the trade, right? Like you got to be willing to put yourself, like put that neck on the line. Like I really believe this guy could be better and I'm willing to give up this player for him. That's what you're doing when you're trading and the other team's doing the same. You got to be able to do that. You know, don't, don't play it too safe if you're sitting at like seventh in your league right now, right? Because you're not playing for fifth. Right. Right? Like eventually you might be playing for fifth. But right now you're not playing for fifth. Like make a move. Like again, I'm not Ricky Bobby. You're a winner. You've got the gift. Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last. It's not if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> but like you're not playing to finish in the middle. Like right now, you're probably playing like, I need to get to the playoffs or finishing the money. How do I get towards that? And yeah, it might be baby steps. Like you might be playing for fifth if you're currently in ninth, but you're not playing to end at fifth necessarily yet, right? Because you might do better. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Suarez is a guy who can do that. But again, it is risk reward, right? But again, but I, but I like it. It's a bold move. Yeah. If right? you're eighth mm-hmm. and you finish 10th, th- does that hurt your feelings all that much more? Right? <laughs> like you already had a bad season. Right. At least you tried something, right? At least you you, you know you, you went down swinging, let's say, and much <laughs> like you had your swings. All right, let's move on to third base. Uh, Rafael Devers, uh, one of the uh, best offensive third basemen in baseball. So uh, as a Yankee fan, tough to say, but I got to give his props, right? Uh, Nolan Arenado. I look at Nolan Arenado, and I've never met Alex Fast in person, but. Is it me or do they really look alike? Could 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 uh, Arenado be uh, Alex Fast's doppelganger or vice versa? No. Yeah, you... like a like a six to eight inch taller. Well, I get uh, it. Hundred pound of muscle heavier. Okay, but I'm, t- I'm looking at the Alex face. ain't a tall guy. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, Alex, I know you're not listening to this, <laughs> but like, I- I've spent time with Fast. I love Fast. Uh-huh. He's not big. Yeah. Right. Like, he's not. You're not going to mistake him for like. Oh, do you play basketball? Nobody ever asks fast if he plays basketball. <laughs> I'm uh, vertically challenged myself, so don't worry about it, Alex. But uh, so Nolan Arenado, uh, first season with the Cardinals, you know, not terrible, but you, you know, not really what you expected in a way based on his history with the Rockies. Two sixty one batting average, seventeen homers, fifty six RBI in his first ninety games. Uh, Anthony Rendon. Uh, limited by injuries this season, 58 games, 240 batting average, just six home runs and 34 RBI. Yoan Mancada, K-rate has always been an issue, got it down a little bit, walk rate up a bit, but 
just five home runs in 90 games, uh, 272 batting average. Who, who's your third baseman? Yeah, Moncada's tough because, like, we gave him a pass because of the COVID thing. He even talked about how much yeah. it affected him. Yeah. Maybe it still is. We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's yeah, really true. tough. But it's starting, it's starting to get to a point where even if we're giving him a bit of a pass, like, <laughs> we still have to pay attention to it, right? We can't yeah. ignore it entirely. So, so that's tough. The person I picked at third base is someone who I could have picked at second base as well, Kevin Biggio. Uh, so – with Biggio, he's actually hitting 262 since the start of June. And really the big thing with Biggio is he's got power. He's got speed. The batting average is trash. Mm-hmm. It's not trash since the start of June, right? The plate discipline looks way better. Mm-hmm. And while he's not going to be leading off or hitting second anytime soon, especially with the return of Springer as sort of like the de facto, if Semyon doesn't lead off, Springer will. Uh, he won't be that, but. You know, even I, I kind of want a piece even at the bottom of that lineup, right? Like he's actually hit eight the last couple of games, which really stinks. But at the same time, it's the AL, so it's not like there's a pitcher behind him. Right. And that lineup is still crazy deep. Like Kevin Biggio's <laughs> hitting eighth, right? Like how many teams does Kevin Biggio hit eighth, mm-hmm. right? So I don't think he'll be like a top eight third baseman. He's actually uh, been the number 39 third baseman up till right now because he's just really struggled a lot. But he could probably have like eight to 10 home runs, five or six stolen bases the rest of the way. And I'm not saying his batting average is going to be good. Like, mm-hmm. don't think that it's going to be good, but it could be like not that harmful. Yeah. And like, if he can do that, if he can have eight to 10 home runs, five, to six stolen bases and not harmful batting average, mm-hmm. like that's a really good player. That's a whole lot better than the 39th best third baseman, right? <laughs> like it's probably like top 20 ish. Mm-hmm. The base is pretty deep, but like, it's a very useful player especially with the kind of versatility he has you can usually start him at like second base third base and outfield um or you know wherever you can play him even if you can only play him at one position who cares like there's a good player there it's just his season long numbers are still going to be really weighed down by the just terrible april may that he had Mm -hmm. and they will be for the rest of the year right but you don't care what his final stat line comes out to be right you care about what his stat line is going to be from today on. Yeah. And I think that can be a reasonable stat line. Batting a thousand for you if you trade for him tomorrow, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's a good point. And like you said, I mean, he, he's never going to be a 300 uh, hitter. But like you mentioned, uh, rest of the season, if he can hit 260, 270, even 255, you know, uh, it, it's something that need to, gives you that little bit of speed uh, as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he had a very tough start to the season and uh, still recovering from it. But it uh, looks like things have turned around for him. So let's go to the outfield. So many outfielders that we could talk about. But I, I just picked out a couple. Christian Yelich, back issues have limited him to 61 games. Power has evaporated so far. Five home runs on the season. Uh, K rate is still high, 273 uh, just a 25% fly ball rate that could uh, explain some of the, the power going away. But as an old Yankee fan, I, I watched Don Mattingly go from a sure Hall of Famer to uh, not being able to you know hit balls out of the park because of back issues. So back issues are very, very uh, limiting, obviously. Uh, Mookie Betts' overall stats are good. Uh, was you know, one of those top five picks in the preseason drafts. But not really what we'd expect from him. If, if he could just shake these nagging little injuries that are bothering him in the first half, second half could be huge, right? Last 20 games, 325 batting average, six homers, six doubles, 
13 RBI. Uh, actually, now he's day-to-day. He has a little bit of a uh, hip issue. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious. You mentioned George Springer. Obviously missed a ton of time. Only been able to play 21 games, 184 batting average, and five homers. Uh, Mike Trout on the IL since May 18th with a calf injury. Uh, you know, I'm glad in a way that the Angels are just letting him take his time to fully heal because when he comes back, you know what he could do, right? I don't have to tell you. But Michael Conforto, Mets outfielder, 54 games, three homers, 206 batting average. Now, here's a guy you were talking about having problems against fastballs, uh, batting 167 against fastballs. So, again, you know, I, I don't know if he has been hitting into bad luck, but uh, maybe a bat speed issue. I, I don't know. But, I mean, I expected a lot more from Michael Conforto. Yeah, and it's been it's been tough for him. I will say that um, the play discipline is still very very good, right? He's taking walks. It's just yeah, uh, especially like the last couple of weeks. It's just he's not finding the power yet, and he's going to need to do that. But again, it's a player who he definitely has the skill set. Yeah, he can bounce back from struggles against fastballs. Um, the issue is going to be like when will that happen? It might not happen this year, but it could. And if it does you definitely want a piece of Conforto and you can't wait for him to like hit three home runs in a week to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because by then no one's going to want to trade him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, or if they do, it won't be at any kind of discount that you actually want. So for my bounce back, you know, sort of uh, second half outfielder there again, so many guys I could talk about. I will talk about another guy who can play second, third and outfield uh, much like Arias, much like Biggio, Uh, Jeff McNeil, right? So Jeff McNeil, Mets, uh, has not been good. Like, let's get that out of the way. He's been bad, mm-hmm. uh, objectively, very bad. Uh, but this is one of those guys who the plate discipline still looks good. The batted ball profile looks the same as it always did, right? This isn't a huge power guy. Like, he did have those 23 home runs in 2019. I'm not really expecting that. He had a pretty um, unlikely to be repeated home run fly ball rate for him. But uh, there still should be what is a sort of like Luis Arias, but with like home runs, right? Like at least a couple, right? A reasonable number, like a full season of a good Jeff McNeil sort of looks like 15 to 20 home runs, uh, that kind of power, just because it's easier to conceptualize like full season power versus like rest of season power. That's the kind of guy he can be. So he could hit like six to seven more home runs this season. And the thing is, it's not like I can say, it's not like before with Rizzo where I can talk about fastballs or like Conforto, I can talk about fastballs or uh, Eugenio Suarez, I can talk about like, oh, look, swing and miss against breaking pitches. I can't really do that with McNeil. Everything's fine <laughs> except for the results, right? And it's it's the results all the way through. It's not bad luck either, right? Like he's just not making great, like he's not making good enough contact, even though a lot of the underlying stats are still similar to what they were. So whenever I see something like that, uh, my, my general instinct is going to be like, okay, then this will probably get better. Nothing's mm-hmm. broken, right? Nothing's broken. Only the results are bad. And if only the results are bad, uh, then I can live with that because I think it can get better. And quite frankly, he's probably on a bunch of waiver wires. There's probably a lot of people just trying to get rid of him. They're free. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to do it right this second, but he's definitely a guy that would be at the top of my list in terms of like, I want to keep an eye on this. I think this is a player who can really help a lot of teams. Uh, this is a guy who could, could, be a top 15 second baseman, top 50 outfielder rest of the way. If he can do what he's projected to do that kind of range. So that that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of upside for a guy who a lot of people I think want no part of right now. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm looking at. Another player I want to talk about real quick. He was not good in AAA. He was horrible last season, but 
Did y'all know that Oscar Mercado is back in the league? Back in the bigs. He's platooning right now with Daniel Johnson over in Cleveland. Uh, he's not a full-time guy yet, but what he did do in AAA, and let's be clear, he was actually terrible in AAA in terms of the results. He had like 180-something. He was bad. But he fixed the strikeout problem, right? So 2020, he was striking out constantly. Like something was broken. He just could not stop striking out. Like 29% strikeout rate. Like that's that's not going to cut it for a guy like Mercado who doesn't have any power, right? So what they did do is send, they sent him down to AAA. And while the batting average was bad, the strikeout rate was fine. The plate discipline looked good, right? He had like a 15-something percent strikeout rate in AAA. And, you know, in the majors, it's it's still up a little. But, you know, what he does have is speed. A bunch of it, yes. right? He actually stole two bases off the Royals before the break after he got called up. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, this is not like a 10-team league play, but I, you really need to keep him on your watch list if you need speed because the AL Central might be the very worst division in baseball at stopping runners. The Tigers are no good at it. The White Sox are no good at it, right? The Twins, they're no good at it. Hmm. Those three teams are three of the best teams to target for stolen bases. And Mercado's going to get a bunch of them. If he can stay on the big league roster, he'll get a bunch of them the rest of the season, right? Like, he could have game-changing stolen bases for you. If you need to, like move up like eight stolen bases above the rest of your league. Like Mercado could actually do that like for free, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't, you don't, you probably don't even have to bid. Like you can bid a dollar. You could probably get him right now, right? Unless you're in like an AL only league. Ain't nobody trying to get him. And in a lot of formats, maybe you don't quite yet, but there's huge upside there. He's going to be at the top of my watch list, especially if he like maybe hits a little, or at least I start finding that he's playing more often than he isn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, that's something I'm really watching because it's a really good opportunity for a player with a game changing skill, which is speed. Yeah, I, finally, I like that call. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, and finally, I'm not doing a podcast without talking about my dude, Akil Badu, <laughs> right? Akil Badu, Akil Gudu, right? Whatever you want to call him, not doing a podcast without him. And the reason I want to talk about him isn't because, like, I want to keep talking about how great he was for that month and a half. If you'll recall, uh, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. I talked a lot about how he went from a 3% walk rate, 42% strikeout rate guy to a 24% walk rate, 24% strikeout guy, right? Like dramatic, like the biggest change in plate discipline I've seen in a single season, particularly from a guy who never played double A, right? And that was great. He's not doing that anymore. Uh, He's not the... 3% 3% walk rate, 42% strikeout rate guy, or the 24% walk, 24% strikeout guy. He's neither. He's not in the middle either. He's actually um, walking not very He's recently become the Tigers' regular leadoff guy, and he's walking like 3 to 5% of the time, and he's striking out about 24% of the time. And uh, some of the power is starting to come back. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Sunday midday uh, on Friday and Saturday, but did have some extra base hits for the first time in a little while. The reason I'm bringing up a isn't like, Oh, y'all have to get him, which, you know, you should, right? Uh, a lot of people, you know, if you're in deeper leagues, you probably should. If you have five outfielders, a kill, is probably very useful. The reason I bring him up is because players are going to continue to change for the rest of the season. A lot of these guys I talked about, I'm expecting some kind of change from them, not because like I can necessarily isolate a single still skill, but because like we have rolling charts because players performance rolls, it comes up and down throughout mm-hmm. the season. Right. And that doesn't mean they're just like going to be kind of good. Then they're going to be kind of bad. Like players will change their approach in significant ways throughout the season. That doesn't necessarily mean something's broken and it doesn't mean it's permanent. 
It means that they're doing something. For a kid like Badu, who's now leading off for the first time instead of batting eighth, he's probably changed his approach entirely. Or his it could just be that his coaches said, we want you to walk more. We really want you to get comfortable with the strike zone. And then he did, and they're like, okay, do you think you can swing the bat more without striking out more? Hmm. And Badu says, yes. And then he does, right? Like, that's actually what he's doing. He's swinging the bat more, uh, and he's not striking out more, right? And it's leading to good, like, pretty good numbers, particularly from a batting average standpoint, which is good for a leadoff guy. Like, those are the kinds of things that happen throughout the season. You need to understand that. You need to, one, adjust to it a little, but don't freak out. And don't expect anyone to just keep doing what they've been doing. Like at some point they're going to be up and ups and downs. Now for some players, you can say like, he's going to keep doing what he's been doing throughout his career, which is like ups and downs. But I kind of know where the baseline is going to be for some of these, especially these young guys who we did not see anything from in 2020. So the guys like, but do a lot of these young players, right? Be ready for dramatic changes, even at this point in the season as to what they're doing. And you need to keep an eye on it because what a lot of your league mates are going to do is just look at, last 15 days where they ranked in fantasy, right? They're going to pull up their Yahoo waiver wire. They're going to sort by last 15 days and they're going to look at rank, right? Or points, right? They're going to say, oh, these have been the best guys, right? What they're not going to understand is the journey. How did they get to that point? What were they before that? Mm -hmm. If you know that, you can beat them, right? Like you might not because there's luck, there's all kinds of things going on, but that's how you beat them. You have to do more then sort by last 15 days, last 30 days and pick the guy who's been the best because you're not getting their stats from the last 15 days. They're gone, right? You're getting the stats going forward. What are they doing? How are they getting there? Why have they been good? Right. And sometimes you look and you go, I can't figure it out. Maybe it's just a hot streak, right? Like Statcast can't distinguish a hot hitter from a skill change. It can't do that. Right. Uh, because the results look the same either way. It's good contact and good results. But what you can do is look for more, right? With Akil Badu, I loved that change he made. I did not expect it to necessarily stick forever. He's made another change. But now what I want to know is what happens then? Because when he did all that walking, his power went away, right? Is it going to come back now that he's swinging more? It hasn't quite yet, but it's it's certainly better than it was, right? His slug is finally back over 400 over, you know, smaller samples. So, like... Those are the things I'm looking for. That's, that's what I want to happen. Like, let's say McNeil has a good two or three weeks. Like I, that doesn't just mean like, Oh, look, I was right. It means good. Something's Mm -hmm. happening. Can I figure out what it is? I don't have a lot of time to wait to see if more is going to happen. Am I willing to take that gamble and, and move forward because either I see a change or I believe in the underlying skill set, which is what was true for a lot of these guys, Arias, McNeil, Biggio, Suarez, Rizzo. These are guys that I believe in the underlying skill set. So I'm concerned, but less concerned about what's already happened and focusing more on the future. That's what I like. That's what I'm trying to make decisions on. Like Akil Badu, because he's able to make these dramatic changes to his batted ball profile and be good enough to be in the major leagues, despite never playing in double A that to me, giant signal. I want that because I don't care if he changes. He can do like making those changes is really freaking hard. And that shows a tremendous amount of skill. So I believe in the underlying skill set. There are other players that you might be like that with too, right? And you need to find those guys. You need to, you need to do what you can to obtain them or to continue to roster them or whatever, right? 
And also the opposite. Like if there's players, if you don't believe in Eugenio Suarez, you truly think that he's totally sold out for power. It's just uppercut swings. doesn't matter. Like then don't listen to me about this swing and miss against breaking pitches. Like, yes, it's come down, but if it goes back up in a month, which is a very realistic scenario, Mm -hmm. like you wasted your time. You need to be projecting and projections are always going to give you the middle. You kind of, the human part is saying like, okay, so projections tell me what's the most likely thing to happen, but not what will happen. Right. I think he can be better. I think he can be worse. What I will say about those projections is they're a great like starting point for trades. If you want to figure out how to trade, if you want to like do a trade, okay, I can look at that. Um, And then like, again, think about like at this point, if you've been playing fantasy all season, there's going to be certain player archetypes that you like. Like the player I didn't mention that was on my list is a guy who's a lot like Luis Arias and who's a lot like uh, Jeff McNeil. And it's David Fletcher, right? I believed in the underlying skill set. The problem was that he was hitting at the bottom of the order. And when he was making contact, it didn't matter. Well, guess what? He's hitting at the top of the order right now. He's hitting like 400 over the last 15 days. And he's scoring a boatload of runs, right? Still not a lot of power. He's got a couple stolen bases. But like, I believe in the skill set. So I continue to look. I continue to wait for things. Like, if I believe in a player, I'm going to keep looking for something to change. It might be where they hit in the batting order. It might be, oh, look, the plate discipline has changed. That's what you need to be doing right now. Because once that happens, make a move. Mm -hmm. Don't wait for the results, right? Like, if it doesn't work out, just drop the guy. But like, make that move because you need to do it earlier. You are right now, unless you're like in first by a mile, times are more desperate. Yes. Be ready to make that move. Yep. Yeah. I like the advice. I, I like that you even call Akil Badu the bad dude. So I, I love that. You know, it's like the big Lebowski, like a takeoff on that. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know, uh, that or, uh, his dudeness or, uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. And I, I love the advice on Mercado, right? Just, uh, couple of years back in 2019 15 homers 15 stolen bases so you're right he's a guy that could really make a difference for you in the stolen base category so uh last uh position i want to talk about is the catcher spot and uh two of the best uh, or better catchers uh yasmani grandal from the white Sox and travis darno uh, on the IL, uh, don't know from the uh, the Braves. Salvador Perez has been the man, man. 281 batting average, 21 home runs in 91 games. Did you see him in the uh, the home run derby the other night? Hit 28 home runs. Uh, uh, but it, unfortunately, he was against uh, Pete Alonso, who had 35 in that first round. Uh, JT Realmuto uh, has been known to be the best uh, catcher in baseball. He's had an okay season, eight homers. Five stolen bases, 264 batting average in 72 games. And Gary Sanchez is basically back to being Gary Sanchez. Had a home run on Saturday night, but batting below 200 in his last 19 games. Remember, everyone was going crazy because he was so hot. And Will Smith, 10 home runs, 256 batting average in 75 games. And a guy I like a lot, but he's struggling a little bit batting average-wise. Sean Murphy, 222 batting average, 12 homers in uh, 76 games. Yeah. Can you tell? I was kind of hoping we might just skip it. Catcher's hard, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You're just going on. <laughs> so, and I'm like, hey, maybe he doesn't want yeah, to talk about catchers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the one thing I'll say about Sal Perez, and it's a lesson that I think we all can kind of remember all the time, is not only has he been very good, and he has, uh, he's also got like 50 more plate appearances than any other catcher, mm-hmm. right? And like 100 more plate appearances than like 
other good catchers. He has a hundred more than Gary Sanchez and Yanni Molina. Well, remember Sanchez uh, was was in a platoon too as well. But you know, yeah. don't don't I don't want to because they're catchers. I, you, they do that all the time. Why do you right? want me to talk about Gary Sanchez, man? <laughs> <laughs> so Sal Perez, I mean, like he's been awesome. The playing time is great. JT Real Muto, like if you're disappointed, it's because maybe you didn't realize that one of the things you you pay for with JT Real Muto is floor. And he's been like the fifth best catcher this season. Like how many players could be guaranteed would be a top five catcher coming into the season. There were two of them. Right. And you had to take them in the first hundred picks. Mm-hmm. Right. With Sal and JT. So, uh, you know, those are interesting. I did pick two catchers. Good. Okay. And Let's hear <laughs> I can't say that they're it's great. Right. So the first is Austin Nola. So he started playing games in AAA. He could get healthy. He could hit for like a decent average, like a 270, 280, sure. and be fresher than most catchers down the stretch because he wasn't playing, right? That's all I have to say. Like maybe he could be useful. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to add either of the two guys I'm talking about yet, especially in a single catcher league. Who cares, right? Just names to keep in mind. When you see him pop up in that fifth best over the last 15 days, be like, oh, yeah. That guy, he actually is pretty good. The other is a guy who had a lot of hype in the preseason and then has since been terrible, but still has a shot. Dalton Varsho for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Look, he's been real bad, yes. right? Since he came back from the minors, yeah, still a 43 weighted runs created plus. He is 57% worse than the average major leaguer uh, since he came back. But he was really good in AAA where he hit nine home runs in 18 games. Wow. Which is good, uh, really, at any level. Like, even if you went to, like, you know, that's pretty good in the home run derby, right? Like, sure. nine home runs, 18 yeah. balls. So, uh, you know. Who was pitching to him? The, play- the Mets uh, bench coach? I mean, was- yeah, right? Like, <laughs> you know, side note, two things we all learned from the home run derby is, number one, I would I would take Pete Alonzo over any man or machine when it comes to a home run derby contest. Yes. Number two, I would take Juan Soto over any man or machine in a pitch-off. Right. Like you let Juan Soto pick his pitches. He's good at doing that when they're trying to strike him out. Right. right. right? Like God, then you got a guy throwing him BP and he gets to take a pitch. Like he, he was like the moment I saw this, like, oh, he's going three for three because he gets he, he could do that in the majors. Yes. Like yes. With, with with like good pitchers trying to strike him out. He's mm-hmm. got a BP like a BP guy giving him. He, yeah. Man or machine. Juan Soto. I'd take yes. him in a three pitch like at a, in the the you know, the three batted ball pitch off any yes, day. Yes. Right. Nobody. If that was the format, Juan Soto wins. Every yeah. Day. Yeah. There was no time limit. He could just choose whether or not yeah. he wants to swing at he it. He took yeah. like six pitches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like in the zone, he just didn't want him. Like he's amazing. Anyway, uh, Dalton Varsho, you know, the plate discipline has been surprisingly good. He's walking a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. The thing about him that I'm bringing up, same reason he had the hype 89th percentile sprint speed as a catcher, right? Cause he's actually playing in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Like actually he's catching right now, but he can also play in the outfield. Uh, he's catcher eligible. Definitely will be next year as well. So the reason I bring him up, I think there's a very real chance. He leads catchers and stolen bases for the rest of the season. That's not a ton of steals, but it's a meaningful number, mm-hmm. right? Like again, a, a lot of the ways that you come back in stolen base categories, isn't because you get one guy, you get several guys. You can do a little bit and it adds up to a lot. So Varsho is one of those guys. If he can, like the plate discipline has been pretty good. If he can just make better contact, that's where, that's where it really kicks in, especially at like the bottom of that order, right? Like he's going to need to run, right? Uh, the Diamondbacks aren't really playing for very much right now, mm-hmm. but uh, Varsho could get stolen bases. 
he he could be something. And they're definitely going to want to see what they have in him, right? So uh, there could be something there. Definitely a guy I'm watching. I haven't added him anywhere because you don't need to right now. <laughs> He's been really, really bad. Uh, but uh, it, definitely a guy I'm watching, even in the single catcher leagues. Yeah, uh, I've been watching him for a while because I do that uh, seven hitters that you should watch in less than 15% that are rostered in less than 15% of leagues. So I'm waiting for him to have that little hot spurt where maybe I can recommend him, but he's been pretty bad, but uh, I've been watching him and you got to look at his uh, underlying skill set too. So I think it's only a matter of time with him, but uh, I think for the rest of the way, he's probably going to get some, uh, he's going to be in the lineup every day. No, especially, I mean, what do the Diamondbacks have to lose at this stage? Yeah. What, what more games? (laughs) <laughs> right, like, who cares? Right. Uh, they they definitely they definitely could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, the D backs are last in that division, and that division contains the Rockies. Yeah, right. Like, they're not just last either; they're yeah. last by like <laughs> they're last by like fifteen games. Yeah, yeah. Like they've been really they have they have twenty six wins. Mm-hmm. Twenty. Yeah. Like, I need that to settle in for folks. The Tigers have forty two. Well, they got Zach Galen back now, so that's that they worry everything's going to be okay. The Orioles well, although have 29 he did, wins. He did pitch they're three very well. games behind the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Actually, I think they're more than that because of number of games played. But anyway. The uh, Rockies don't want to win on the road at all, and they still can't <laughs> jump the standings, right, and overtake the, the Rockies. The Rockies, what, what do they have, six road wins at this stage still? is it? It's, I know it's single digits, right? I mean, it's enough to not be last in that division, apparently. <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's that's like it's just mind-boggling to me. At the moment we're recording this, it's twenty-six wins, and I'm not super concerned about it becoming twenty-seven. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Scott, good to be back with you. I missed you last week, and uh, want to thank uh, all of you for allowing us to visit with you. I uh, hope that you were informed and entertained, because that's our goal. And you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Galina. Follow Scott at If the Chew Fits and follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. If there's anything specific that you'd like us to cover, just reach out to us there. Let us know. Uh, you could uh, follow at Pitcherlist Pods and you'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts that are on the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. Subscribe to Hacks and Jacks on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind. And as always, We hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.